again for sure. Let's take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, you folks know that we began there uh, to examine God's comfort at the beginning of all this. Well, I began there because we needed to talk about God's comfort, but we intended to make 2 Corinthians a book study for the rest of 2020 on Lord's Day Sunday morning. So we're just going to pick up where we left off from there, and we're going to look at verses 12 to 14 together. Pastor Mike will be continuing tonight on live stream at 6 o'clock in our study in the book of Mark. So please, if you can schedule that time together, that would be great. And just want to publicly thank, again, the way that you've cared thank you for the way that you've cared for each other. Can't list all the thousands of ways you've done that in the last 10 weeks. And um, express my gratitude to uh, Pastor Kent and the large one and the small one and all of their helpers uh, that you've been enjoying on live stream and all the way they've kept their kids uh, taught and encouraged along the way. So thank you for that, uh, for that as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read verses 12 to 14 together. Uh, if you have the Bible on your device or in your lap uh, this morning, uh, Paul says this, For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you are also ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to investigate this small portion of your word this morning. May the spiritual bread that we receive from it be our nourishment to persevere well and to do your will um, as we leave this place more joyful than when we first gathered this morning. We lift up to you, Lord, uh, Ron Major and Marianne Wallace and Thelma Lawrence, who may or may not be because of the level of their strength, able to join us this morning. Uh, but if they are, Lord, I pray for their continued strengthening physically. And Lord, that today, by the preaching of your word, they too would be renewed in the inner man. Uh, not just this morning, but daily, as they recover from their very difficult illnesses. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. This is a proposition of sorts. In statement of declaration, we can't stop relating while we're waiting. We can't stop relating while we're waiting. That's not a statement of declaration of our current circumstance. That's not a declaration of let's keep relating until we can reconvene together after quarantine. That's a statement of the Christian's existence. That's the statement of our reality. While we await the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot stop relating. Amen. Paul's had a bumpy history uh, with the Corinthian church, and the church struggled. Paul's first letter to them was 
to bring about multiple correctives. And they responded quite well. It was inevitable, as it is in any assembly of God's people, that other issues, maybe less severe in nature, would arise. And we all know that that issue, regardless of how serious, can still threaten the health of the church as we enjoy it. So sure enough, a certain degree of mistrust of Paul within the church had popped up since his first letter, uh, which had been received and responded well to. There were some who entered the church questioning Paul's motivation in writing the first letter. There were still others who were peddling religious falsehood. Some historians write that they were even traveling uh, religious henchmen, peddling mistrust of Paul and his apostleship and his authority. So Paul invests a lengthy portion of this letter to Corinth that we will address as time goes by on defending his ministry against this new pushback, against mission purpose that it infiltrated and influenced the Corinthian church. It is beautiful to see how he begins his defense and explanation of ministry. We won't read of an immediate remediation of wrestling through formal problems at this time, but instead we're going to move forward and just briefly remember what he's already discussed in verses 3 through 11 that we spoke on during uh, the early stages of this quarantine. Right. Do you remember this? Paul begins 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with positive reinforcement in his second letter, this letter. First, he reminds these sweet saints how they received the comfort of God from him and then how they shared it with one another. He knew they were believers regardless of their intense struggles and relationships with him and each other in the past because of their response to his first letter. So he introduced his second letter by reminding them of how they became and remained ministry partners while persevering through relationship affliction together as they reciprocally enjoyed uh, the comfort of God with each other. So in our passage today, in verses 12 through 14, Paul summarizes the underpinnings of healthy relationships that a church enjoys, right, while the church still may have a few kinks to work out that we described a moment ago. Again, before he addresses what genuine ministry is and before he details multiple areas of spiritual growth still needed, he places a primary emphasis upon what has united them and united him together in Christ. For what has united them is far greater in influence than what has divided them in the past. They had been united in Christ and placed into the family of God in Corinth, full of people, relationships, and mission purpose. Satan had tried to dismantle that church family by their responses to the scriptures, that, but they had survived well. Now it's time to review something of how tested relationships continue to properly relate to one another while we continue to grow in Christ-likeness with each other. So whether marital relationships or relationships with your children, and of course, relationships in our church family, when by God's grace we achieve restoration after division, we'll find here clear direction regarding the maintenance of these relationships moving forward. We can't 
stop relating while we're waiting for the imminent return of the Lord. So Paul describes three ways we grow relationships in Christ, regardless of how rocky the relationships have been in the past. So let's talk about yeah, that, those uh, three things this morning. First of all, we're going to talk about the history of our relationships in Christ, and we're going to talk about the present of our relationships in Christ, and we're going to talk about the future. That's not real hard to follow along this morning, is it? Paul discusses the history of his relationship with Corinth. He's going to say, okay, after he discusses that history, what do we do? What underpins the maintenance of our relationship as we wait the uh, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the present? And by the way, how does our hope, how does our hope play into persevering well in our relationships? As a kid, I can remember my dad loudly pleading with another man. It was actually back in that hallway uh, where the restrooms are. He didn't know I was in the building. Uh, but a man had stopped by late on a Saturday night. Oh, I was probably 8 to 10 years old. And uh, the man was a man that uh, consistently struggled in his relationships in his home and relationships in the church. And he had pretty much come to his wit's end about um, knowing what to do next. And I can remember my dad stopping at that moment and uh, rehearsing with that man while I tried to remain as quiet as a church mouse so they wouldn't know I was in the building to interrupt their conversation. My dad rehearsed with that man his history with that man. And he said, you remember so-and-so when we first met? Uh, do you remember how you came to know Christ as your Savior? Do you remember how those early days looked as we developed our relationship around God's Word together? Remember how you first started to serve in this church by mowing the grass every week? And do you remember those tall glasses of ice-cold lemonade we, re we enjoyed together when you're halfway through mowing these five acres? Do you remember all those things? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when we had that first Grace Bible Institute class together when it was just you and two other men in it? Yeah. And he kept rehearsing all these things from their history to show them what Christ had done to bring them together and initially grow them together. There was a time in that man's life where he hit some really bumpy, bumpy things, and he didn't handle them well, and he didn't respond well to counsel. But it's important for us to remember, regardless of the rocky part of our relationships with believers in the past, it's good to remember the past of how Jesus Christ brought us together. And that's what Paul does here. Look with me, if you will, uh, at the text again. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, right, not in fleshly wisdom, but the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you. Then he says in verse 13, here's the point for our first point. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and what you did understand. What you read and you did understand. So as we move forward this morning, Paul points to the history of their past. They had had a good start. By the way, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. You can go back on your own time. We'll reference Acts chapter 18 from time to time. That's when Paul first came to Corinth. That's where the church was established 
and they had a good storied history. But that history became difficult. That history became difficult. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul had received word from a ministry companion not long after that church had been planted that the church of Corinth had come to a very, very difficult time in its existence. Now we know from what Paul had written to the Corinthian uh, to the Corinthians before that this was his second letter, but there was also a third letter. Uh, that third letter has been lost and not preserved for us uh, in the scriptures. God did not intend it to be part of the scriptures, but from that time when that ministry partner came and introduced Paul to the struggles that they were enduring, uh, Paul wrote a first letter. Paul wrote a second one that was lost, and many people believe that the second epistle that we're studying today was actually his third letter to them. But he had known from their initial response to God's word, uh, regardless, that they were going to re, uh, respond well and to, to do the right thing in the end of the day. And that's what he remembered from their spiritual history. That when they heard the word, that they would respond well. So, his first letter, 1 Corinthians, was written to address the various vices that were afflicting the church. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 tells us that they responded well to that. And to me, one of the most beautiful virtues of the church is the ability to receive correction. When strong rebuke from God's words given, and by God's grace, the church writes their ways. And this is the critical virtue of the healthy existence of any local church. Often in the past, when an individual or church uh, party received strong criticism, it was often spoken of someone who didn't know them very well. But the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of friends. I'm not sure God intended us to receive spiritual rebuke from someone in the local church that doesn't know us well. But Paul had established and had built quite a significant relationship history with the people at Corinth. We could say that he had earned the responsibility to correct them, and he did so by the grace of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit. So have you ever received correction from the lips of someone that didn't know you very well and didn't have any context of your life? It's ugly, isn't it? It gives us all heartburn. Like those folks didn't earn the right to say something to me, corrective in nature. They didn't have the right to speak to the wrong in my life. And often when those people speak to the wrong in your life, when they don't know you well, they're really not speaking to any wrong because they don't know you well. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we can't erase those memories from our mental hard drives, but by God's grace, those scenarios of our past don't have to embitter us or pull us away from the flock of God in the present. Nonetheless, I'm confident that Corinth, as we know, responded to Paul because he had invested genuine time and expressions of love with these people um, over quite a few years. Receiving rebuke from someone who loves you is never completely easy, but much more tolerable, and might I add, very much used of the Holy Spirit person who knows you well in the Lord is able to do what Paul did in his rebuke of the Corinthian church. 
He was able to be confident in their placement into the righteousness of Christ. He was able to maintain a relationship with them. When times were good and when times were difficult because of their union with Christ. And when the time comes for correction, then we're able to give the mutual benefit of the doubt that both parties will change in their growth in Christ-likeness when that conversation happens over the word of God together. So remember that phrase with me, if you will, in verse 13. Remember what we read, what we have read in our pasts, and what we do continue to understand based on what we know, what we've read in our past, and what we've realized in our past. And shouldn't all Christian relationships within the local church exist with a proper personal development to some degree? All Christian relationships are cultivated as we invest relationship equity in them. We don't invest that equity merely to earn the right to be a corrective agent in someone's life, but that equity is necessary if and when the time comes to utilize God's word to compel growth in another Christian's life. Isn't this the way Christian marriages grow? Shouldn't relationships with our children grow in the same way? Then certainly the local church can function under the divine process of communication as well. So whether domestic or whether ecclesiastical, when we're with people in Christ, it's good to find your way to the past. And remember what commonly united us, or should I say who commonly united us first? Find Jesus as your center. Remember those early days of growth. Remember what we had received, what we understood, and how we continue to live in that now. My friends, I'm telling you, if Paul can be reunited in fellowship with the Corinthian church after all that they had gone through that he prescriptively addressed in his first letter, then certainly any of us should be able to continue on well in our relationships with each other uh, in Jesus Christ as well. It's a little bit about our history. How do we use history in the word of God together and in Christ to maintenance our relationship? But let's talk about the present. We see the present here mentioned primarily in verse 12 and 13. You read that with me, if you would. Right after that first phrase, he said, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and then especially toward you. Right. Now that we understand the importance of our history together, it's prudent for us to unpack the virtues mentioned here that continue to maintenance our relationships in the here and now. Uh, think of verse 12, uh, if you would, um, as a three-legged table. My wife recently found at a store an, an end table next to my easy chair. Uh, I had my easy chairs next to a, a window in our house, and I've been using the, the shelf of that window to put books and um, beverages and pens and my my uh, earpod things. What are those called? Earpod. I got the uh, AirPod Pro. I got the Pro version, Amen. right? <laughs> from my kids. I think it was for Christmas, wasn't it? 
AirPod Pros. Like my kids got me AirPod Pros. Those things aren't cheap, right? But my kids are more rich than I am now, so they can get me all that they want. My AirPod Pros are there. Um, probably some other things that you don't want to know are on that shelf, and she didn't like that. So I'm sure she'd been looking for a nice end table next to my easy chair. She found one. It has three legs. So think about the maintenancing our relationship as a necessary three-legged table. To my wife, that table was ridiculously necessary. And it actually looks really good, and like I use it all the time now, and I think it's really good, and it's maintenance our relationship really well. So let's get underneath this table together spiritually and examine these supports that hold it up. And remember uh, what Paul says here in the first part of verse 12. He says, if our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. He's talking about the, the value of his conscience. His conscience needs to be okay with the relationships he has with the Corinthian church. We're compelled by the grace of God to wrestle ourselves to make sure we're okay with each other. And this is how he says he does it in the presence, in the present. And this is how they are encouraged to continue to do it in the present. Right? So we're underneath the table. Let's look at leg number one. He says here that in holiness that in holiness. In Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church, the church would have known what Paul meant by this. As we stated earlier, Paul confronted Corinth on some pretty serious matters in his first letter. Then there was the severe second letter that was lost, but the church would know by the use of the word holiness that Paul meant distinction. Distinction from worldliness. He had addressed in the first letter their immorality, their sexual immorality. He confronted it. It had been sexual immorality that was unaddressed and left uncorrected in their midst. In 1 Corinthians 5, you remember that, right? It became leaven in their lump because it was unaddressed. That's what unaddressed sin in a church does. It affects the whole. He addressed their unwillingness to worship in decency and in order. You remember 1 Corinthians 10 and then 1 Corinthians 11. They were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy fashion, and it had caused a grievous consequence. That consequence was death, wasn't it? He knew that they knew when he said the word holiness what he was meaning. In chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, Paul also addressed with laser accuracy the unnecessary division that existed in the Corinthian church. Some had found their way to following him, others Apollos, others Cephas, and he says, I wish I had baptized none of you, so none of you would be able to choose me as your favorite follower. Unnecessary division is unnecessary division. And he knew that if you were going to walk in holiness, that this sin left unaddressed, this disorderliness in worship, and this disunity in the local church uh, needed to be gone. Needed to be gone. Uh, so he knew when they said, when he said holiness, exactly what they meant. 
But we all know that these things can still affect Christian relationship in the church today. Unconfessed immorality coupled with their uh, willing desire to accept immorality as a new normal. Unaddressed and unnecessary divisions among the people over leadership issues. We all know that the church still struggles with this to some degree. I think every church does. What we we struggle with in small degree, Corinth was just dealing with in a very large degree. So as we continue on this morning, our personal relationships at home also struggle with the same thing. We can struggle with disunity over leadership in the home. We can struggle with temptations to immorality. We can struggle with the intentions to worship consistently and with integrity, even in our homes. But Paul says, you know what? Holiness is necessary. Distinct and reverent living. Holiness rather than worldliness is necessary in underpinning human relationships in the local church that are healthy. So, embrace those sincere, honest, and transparent discipleship relationships you have in your home. Embrace those that you have in the church and allow them to be the guardrail, if you will, of sorts, to keep us and to get us, or to get us back on track in this reverent and distinct lifestyle. So, the second leg that supports the table top of good conscience in relationship is this. Godly sincerity. First of all, holiness, and secondly, godly sincerity. Where do we see that? If you draw your eyes again uh, to the text of Scripture here, he says here that in holiness and godly sincerity, and then he explains godly sincerity, or we'll call it godly motivation here, positively and negatively. He says this godly sincerity is not in fleshly wisdom, but it is in the grace of God. Sincerity speaks to Paul's motivation in maintenancing his relationships. Flowing naturally from holy living comes pure motivation. This virtue is explained, as I said, both negatively and positively. Negatively, not in fleshly wisdom. Literally, the word here, if you know Greek language, right, is uh, the root, the the root, noun root is sarkikos, which means fleshly. It's the upkeep of our relationships that cannot be merely maintenance through good common grace, let alone carnal desires or carnal motivation or carnal speech. But he says here positively that this motivation is maintenanced by or in the grace of God. We must perpetually know that any Christian relationship requires help from heaven. And that is what ensures the relationship durability. Proper motivation is an essential leg under the table of good conscience in human relationship. And we're motivated by the grace of God. And we always remember this, especially in light of our first um, Aspect here uh, that we studied this morning in the history of our human relationship. The grace of God always evaluates human relationship in the big picture. In the big picture. A lot of times we get caught in the emotional small picture frame of a moment of a tough time with someone in our home or maybe in our church and we fail to step back and look at the history and go back 
to where and how they found Christ and how they've grown in Christ gradually over all that time. But the grace of God compels us to take that 50,000 foot view quickly. Quickly. Emotion has to... Uh, emotion... <laughs> the speed that emotion takes us in a spiral downturn um, is, is, uh, is light speed, it seems sometimes. You have to slam the brakes on, and the only way you do that is being well-motivated by the grace of God, which compels you back to that 50,000-foot view and say, hey, you know what, so-and-so, let's just stop. Let's just stop, right? And let's go back, and let's remember. And the grace of God compels us to do that. Okay, so let's examine this third and final leg as we close this morning of this table, this necessary table whose tabletop is maintaining a good conscience in relationship. And it's here, conduct. We have conducted ourselves in the world, and then he says towards one another, right? In the world and towards one another. The verb here shows consistency over a long period of time. Of course, virtuous conduct is bolstered when birthed from holiness and proper motivation. So the word conduct in the New Testament has three different meanings to it. You'll find one of those meanings in Philippians 1.27. It's the conduct of knowing how to live ethically within a community. That's not what Paul's talking about here. You'll find the other word for conduct in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. And that's the conduct of knowing how to walk orderly or circumspectly among those who don't know Jesus. This is a different Greek word here. The Greek word here simply means to live counterculturally. It's tied directly to holiness. It's tied directly to well and good intention motivated living and, and developing our relationships. It literally means to swim upstream against the world's way of how it maintenances relationships. We find our ability, our strength to maintenance relationships in a different person who has his own word on how we're to do this relationship thing. Write down these passages. You can study these on your own time. If we are in a typical time frame for a morning service, I'd look at all of them together today. But I wanted you to look at a Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Titus 3, 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians 2, 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 to 22. These are all various contexts where this third word for conduct is mentioned and how we to live, we're to live our lives counterculturally. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, and 2 Timothy 3.10. This conduct is represented in the way we live godly character in our individual Christian cultures, whether it be the culture of home or church. Each reference that we just mentioned Studying in your own time is a context that describes the divine character, the difference that God's grace brings to our lives as we live in this world. Now, I already said the, word, the second word for conduct is about our testimony for unbelievers. I find this fascinating to me, and you may not find it fascinating. 
But there's an expectation to live a certain conduct in our homes and at church with one another that's countercultural, that's not necessarily representative to the world. It's representative for each other that's underpinned by God's grace that keeps that table held up in strong fashion. We maintenance our relationships by the Word of God. God's Word is enough resource. Jesus is enough resource, the indwelling of the Spirit, and then word-saturated people. Those are enough resources to maintenance our relationships. Now, sometimes we step out and we get professional help, maybe, secular professional help, and I'm not here to say that that's not of any help to us. Common grace, even those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, can offer help but within the context right here, Paul's saying his relationship with the Corinthian believers was maintenanced by the grace of God in Christ and the dwelling Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And that was countercultural to the way that the world handles their relationships. And as this character is gradually developed after we're saved, it is this virtue that is necessary in the, in the upkeep of our relationships together with God's people, and especially uh, towards you, as the text says here. So the world ought to know that there's something different about the way we conduct ourselves, and that's okay. That's okay. Because remember, it's not just exemplary for them, and apart from them in this context, right? but it's necessary towards one another. It's necessary towards one another. So we've seen the importance of remembering our past, these three-legged table, these virtues of underpinning the strengthening of our relationships in the present. And we'll wrap up here in the last four minutes with this third and intentionally shorter uh, point regarding our relationships and the future. We must not stop living while we're waiting. This applies to our text. We are eagerly awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, we must be living at least mimicking Paul's philosophy of life here. The future of our position in Christ is clear as seen in these two phrases. One in verse 13, until the end. And the other in verse 14 that we've already read, in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what of in the meantime, according to this passage? A Pauline pattern of writing is to assume God's people will embrace the Word of God. They will persevere personally and publicly influenced by the Scriptures. And this adherence to the Scriptures by his readers led to a reciprocal assumption that should be the experience of all of us here as a Grace Church of Mentor family. The more we observe and follow the scriptures together, the more exciting, quite frankly, the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes to all of us. Amen. Right down here in the margin of your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, and verses 17 to 20. Again, if we are in a normal time frame, I'd go back and I'd look at that. It speaks of the Thessalonian believers' reception of the Word of God. And because they had received it well together, they were blessed in their deed, which meant in that immediate context, their deed was their relationships with each other. 
They embraced the word. They applied the word. They were able to live the word together. Their relationships were strong in that church. And because of that, they were able to more excitedly look to the imminent appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds. And you find that crescendoing all the way down through verses 18, 19, and 20, where Paul says, you are my glory and my joy in the appearing or at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So protecting and procuring godly relationships among lovers of Jesus under the time we all see him face to face is a hallmark Christian discipline in the Christian community. And as we understand how we've overcome those things that tested the metal of our Christian relationships in the past, and as we understand the virtues, those legs that hold up the table of our relationships now, so we can quite confidently know that our friendships with those in Jesus Christ will be, not only can be, should be, but will be developed until we see the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. So, what does he say here by way of a brief conclusion? Join me, if you will, in verse 14. Just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Maybe you notice already in verse 12 and verse 14, this little short passage is bookended by a word proud, by the word proud. It's not often that we see the word pride, especially in New Testament literature, in a positive way. Right? But just like the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy in my life than to find my children walking in truth. Just like you would go to a graduation, you would go to a wedding, you would say at a birthday party of a child, I'm proud of you. You're typically saying you've persevered and you've won many more battles than you've lost. We're proud of the way you've lived. That's what Paul's saying here, but I find it interesting. Because he's able to give the Corinthian believers the benefit of the doubt that they've responded well to the word of God by how they're living now, he's able to continue to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's where he finds pride in them, and that's where they found pride in him. And we can continue to do that as we look forward to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There really is no other way to maintenance Christian relationships as we move forward into the future than to continue to understand that this mutual pride is birthed out of Understanding how we handle our pasts and the three-legal table of our present. Understand there's a flow to this text. Understanding those two things, we can, we will, and we should continue to find pride all the way up until we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So in a marriage, a wife comes to a husband and says, you know what, enough. I'm done. I've tried for months, I've tried for years and some decades, and you're just not changing. I'm done. What do they do? Right. A member of a church comes to a pastor and says, you know what? I'm out. I'm done. What do you do? Kid comes to a parent. 13, 14, 15, I'm out. Can't stand it here anymore. What do you do? Stop, take a deep breath, sit down, and pray, and maybe do something you've never done before. After you pray, hey, sweetheart, 
friend, just tell me, when did you come to know Jesus? Let's go back to the past. What were some things you experienced right after you knew Jesus? How did you grow? What were some of those exciting times? Hey, do you remember how we used to celebrate Jesus in our relationship? Do you remember how we grew together and all those things we had in common spiritually in our relationship? Hey, by the way, maybe in the here and now, friend, sweetheart, I haven't been living a holy life. Would you want to tell me anything that you see in my life that's not godly? Hey, do you doubt my motivations as to why I'm even in this relationship? If you do, I understand. Just tell me why you think I'm in it. So someone might say, I don't even think you're motivated at all to be in this relationship. I'd like to see some motivation for heaven's sakes. What's your motivation? What's your motivation? It's your conduct. Maybe discussing some of those things, one of those legs of that three-legged table of motivation would be healthy for you after and only after you've remembered how you came to Christ and what you've enjoyed in Christ. Then talk through those things. And then we work our way back to understanding how to have spiritual mutual pride in one another because we see Christ in each other first. We've rehearsed our growth in the past, and so we can be confident that we're going to continue to do that all the way up until we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're going to see the rest of 2 Corinthians that Paul's not done addressing issues in the Corinthian church. They're not as severe as they were before, but they're still deep and they're still wide. There's still a lot that threatens the health of their relationships. But I find it interesting he starts here. Past, present, and how are we going to continue to get through this in the future? Hope that's encouraging to you. So while we're waiting, we can't stop relating. So let's continue to persevere well. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for the simplicity of your word. In this context, Lord, I'm, I'm thrilled with what people have done to continue to maintenance their healthy relationships. And I pray as the word of God has spoken to my heart in relationship to my home and my church life, that it has done the same in particular by the spirit of God's help in the hearts and lives of those who were able to listen today. We love you, Lord. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your patience with us. And Lord, we um, look forward to regathering again uh, sooner than later. In Christ's name we pray, amen.